0: Welcome to Bible Study, glad you're here excited to get started and to ask God's blessing on our time. So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this opportunity to meet, gather, and to hear from you. I pray that you would take uh, what is on a piece of paper in front of me and that you will make it somehow coherent. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would teach by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring revelation tonight. Uh, I need your Holy Spirit to anoint and to uh, really reveal and to show. And so God, we believe you for that tonight. We ask that uh, you would lead us and guide us in our time. I pray, Father, that you would turn our hearts, our minds toward you and toward the truth of your word tonight. I ask you, Father, that we'd be challenged. I pray that it would lead to change and growth in us Give you thanks. We ask your blessing. We ask your anointing. We ask your power on this time. we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your uh, a Bible with you, uh, open up to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature. With Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's s p e a k p i p e dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study. All one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi. Or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you need a Bible, there should be some on the tables. You can feel free if you want to. Try your hand at an analog Bible. Um, It's old-fashioned, but they work. They have pages, and they print on the pages. It's it's fascinating, really. They don't have to be recharged either. It's yeah. Look at Tim over there. That's right, right. Remember that? Yeah. Tim remembers. Luke chapter 6, I need a volunteer ready and able to read verses 35 and 36 of Luke chapter 6. We'll love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture that uh, we get stuck on the first few words and we don't even listen to the rest of it. What's the first few words of this passage? Love your, Love your enemies. We hate our enemies. So we read that and we're like, oh, can't do that, and we forget about the rest of the passage. But there's a lot of good stuff in this passage. So uh, I want to take a look at some of that. I want to take a look at some of what God is saying, uh what's being taught through this, because I think it helps to define what it means. Uh, what he means by the first statement there of loving our enemies. He gives us a little bit of insight into that. He gives us a little bit of understanding about what that looks like and how that's fleshed out in our life. Like, how do you actually live that way? You know, do you wait for somebody to hate your guts so you can love them? Or do we have something else we can be doing? And so uh, I want to encourage you that there's other things that we can be doing. There's other ways that we can be living and going about our life where it's all-inclusive in the part about loving your enemies. And and so I just want to take some time tonight to unpack some of that, uh, look at it, and really just see uh, what God would, would speak to us individually about what part of this maybe would be for us or what part of this would be something we could apply to our lives. So he begins with the statement... He says to love your enemies and do good to them. And the way this is stated, and this is important to understand this, the the way that the verb is used here is a transitive verb. uh, It's used in the original language, and what it states to us is that it states that this is a perpetual rule of action. So, in other words, we're not waiting around for someone to hate us so that we can love them. That's not what this is about. This isn't really talking about uh, a moment. This isn't really talking about a circumstance. It's not talking about an individual person in your life that maybe you don't get along with. That's not what this is about. What this verse is about, and what I believe God's speaking to us about, is a way of life and a way that He is calling us to live. And more importantly than maybe our reaction in a moment, which sometimes a reaction in a moment could be awesome, and sometimes a reaction in a moment could be not so awesome. And so that's just the way it goes. I have lots of moments where my reaction is not so awesome. Um, I am not a good person in the moment all the time when it comes to the right reaction. And so I freely admit that. I know that. But I'm not going to dismiss something that God has for my life because... I'm another failure at a certain moment in my life, And, and most of us can think about moments in our lives where we fail, and that's just life. That's how it goes, and we can't dwell on those moments because it's not those moments that really define us. It's not those moments that really tell us who we are. But there's a lot more to life, and there's a lot more to the way that we live, and there's a lot more time that passes. There are many relationships in our life. There are many ways that we express ourselves. There are many times that we serve, many times that we listen, many times that we're slow to movement, and all the rest of those kind of things that the Bible talks about. And so just in the same way one moment is not going to define our life, one negative moment, well, one positive moment doesn't really define our life either. But our life is defined through just the way that we're going to live and and the way that we're going to just show ourselves and the way that we're going to act and we're going to move and we're going to be in our lives. And so that takes place over time, that takes place over circumstance, that takes place over relationships, not just one relationship, but over many. And so I want to encourage you tonight not to get stuck on one thing. Not to get stuck on one moment. Because I think that's a trick of the devil. That's what I believe. I believe that that is a trick of the devil for us to get stuck on a moment. That we can think of one time that, or or one series of times or one particular circumstance that we fail in. And that's all we think about. And that becomes something that's defining for us. And yet it's not. That is not something that is defining for us. You think about the works that Jesus did. And and you know, just the average person out there, they, they talk about Jesus. And, and Jesus was a nice guy. You know, a lot of people say, Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was, in his own day, they said, well, he's a prophet. Or they would say he's whatever they said that he was. Or he's nice. Or Jesus is loving. Or Jesus is a lot of these different things. But, I mean, hardly any, do you ever hear somebody say, you know, Jesus was a spitter. (laughs) All right. Because, you know, he did spit and make mud and put it on somebody's face one time. (laughs) And so because he did that, I guess if we're going to define him by a moment, he's a spitter, right? But that's not true. I mean, that's not who he is. I mean, most people don't know him that way. I mean, or or they could define him as what? Think of some other circumstance that Jesus was engaged in one time in his ministry. What would be a good one? Like, yeah, Jesus is angry. Well, Jesus isn't angry. Jesus is a table flipper. Yeah, you know, he's a table flipper. Well, he did. He did flip a table of eight or two. No, he did. And he did flip a table or two, but that doesn't define him. It doesn't define his life. That, that's something that happened in his life. It's something that he participated in. It's something he did. But it's not life-defining. And and he defined himself that way, and we don't define him that way. History doesn't define him that way. The average person that has any knowledge of Jesus whatsoever doesn't define him as a table flipper <laughs> or as a spitter. They just don't, because it, those moments aren't what define us. And... And so we need to stop believing that. Because if you're a person that thinks that way, and in those terms, you got to stop believing that. And, and that could have been because you come from a critical background. Like you, you grew up with critical parents, and they just waited to find a fault in you, and they would just hammer that fault, right? And, that, and then all of a sudden that defines you? Well, it, it never did. And it never will. It just happened to be a moment and it happened to be a circumstance or it happened to be something that was a pet peeve of somebody that was yelling at you or whatever it was and yet that is not who you are and so that idea and those ideas that get into our head those ideas that get into our spirit uh we need to reject that and i I look at this passage and and he starts off with that love your enemies. Well, I don't always love my enemies. Well, right. I understand that. And and I understand that we're not living in the perfect life. I get it. I get that we don't always have the right reaction. I get it. I get we don't always say the right thing. I get that. I, I, I we don't always do the right thing. I understand that. And and we all acknowledge that. We can acknowledge that for each other's lives, that I can look at anybody in this room, and I know that you don't always say the right thing. I know that. I can look at anybody in this room, and I know you don't always do the right thing. I know that. And we can acknowledge that. So let's just acknowledge that, that we don't always say the right thing, we don't always do the right thing. Let's just acknowledge that for one another. You know, I can acknowledge it for you, you can acknowledge it for me, but whatever, acknowledge it for yourself. I don't always say the right thing. I don't always do the right thing. All right, we got that. Done. So let's begin to think in different terms. Let's begin to think in bigger picture terms of maybe what Jesus is talking about here. Because I think there's something more important that he's talking about than rehashing the fact that we're not living the perfect life. I think there's something more important that he's talking about instead of rehashing the fact we don't always do the right thing in every circumstance. We don't always say the right thing in every circumstance. We get that. We got it. We don't need to rehash that. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. He is talking about a perpetual rule of action. And that perpetual rule of action has to do with what everything he talks about here. Because he's talking about loving your neighbor. he's talking about doing good to them and all of those things. And, and there's a pa- in this passage, you can define this passage a few different ways. And every way is all right. It doesn't matter how you want to define it. But there's a very real part of this where he talks about that that we should never ever be a people. And this is the perpetual rule of action. You should never be a person that loses hope or that causes people to lose hope in your life. Now, he will say that. And when I use the word never, that's a strong word because there'll be some times that we're down and we're going to say the wrong thing, like I've already acknowledged. But what this is talking about is fashioning ourselves into a people that are hopeful and that will cause people and encourage people and work with people and move them toward hope. That's what it would do. And if we can do that, that is the perpetual rule of action that God calls us to. He calls us to do good. And then He defines what that means. Because only God can define that word for you. Only God can define what good means. We're messed up when it comes to that. We're messed up trying to define good. We're messed up trying to define evil. It was sin from the very beginning for us to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's been sin ever since. And it's sinful of us to try and think that we have somehow mastered that knowledge in our life because we haven't. We're living in in a perpetual fallen state because of the knowledge of good and evil in our life. Let's not glorify it. Okay? We good with that? If we can be good with that, then we can allow God to define what good is. Let me just say, all right, God, will you define what that means? You tell me what that means. Well, starting in this verse here, he's beginning to define this as being a person that in nothing loses hope. That we're working toward that. To be a person who is a person who never causes others to lose hope. All right, And so that's a beginning of a definition of doing good to others, right there. <coughs>
1: because
0: he uses an example of lending. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard speak on this and say, well, we should never uh, lend with interest. I mean, they get caught up in the minutiae of, of these words here. And, and this, that's not what he's talking about. He's like, you know, never, he's like, lend without expecting anything back. Yeah, okay. What does it mean? How do you lend to somebody without expecting anything back? What do we call that? Give it, give it to them. All right. Yeah. Yeah, just give it to them. All right. And that's the end of it. That's the end of it. So somebody look at Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become
1: weary doing good,
0: for at the proper time we will leave a harvest, if we not give up. Alright. But again, who has to define doing good? God. God defines what that is. Because we make stuff up all the time. Well, this is good. This is bad. You know, there's bad and it's good. There's bad and it's good. There's good now, but it's bad later. There's bad now and good later. We're we're not good at any of that stuff. We we don't do well with it. And so, because we don't do so well with it, it, it's important that we allow God to do that. Because one day you might think, well, this is good. But then, you know, a few days later you might think, oh, this is bad. Because we're just not, we're not well programmed for that. The knowledge of good and evil did not sit well in our spirit. And God knew that it wouldn't. That's why he, he was forbidding Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He knew it wouldn't sit right in our spirit. And He knew that we just would not be very good at it at all. And so He said, don't do that. They did anyway. And, and so we lost our place in paradise. We can't live forever. And we were cast out of the garden that He had created for us. And then we were cursed, lived by the sweat of our brow, and and all the rest that came with that curse, and yet we still glorify the knowledge of good and evil. Does that not seem a little bit messed up to anybody? No, I just mean that. Does that not seem a little bit messed up? Because it is. That you glorify the very thing, the very decision, the very fruit of the decision that casts us out of what god created for us and what he made for us and so we're going to take that thing that god said don't do this from the very beginning and we're going to glorify that very thing as far as i'm concerned that's a little bit messed up well it's probably a lot messed up and so we need to allow god to define what that means so these verses begin to tell us who god is Now, tell me if this doesn't sound right to you. So I'm going to start with a statement here about who God is. In this statement, you're going to start with God. Here's my first statement. God is kind to people who are evil. That messes with your sense of justice, right? Does that not... Does that not mess with your sense of your 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 superior sense of justice? Yes. You know, so we have this idea in our head it's like, well, things should be what, what were we like? Fair. Everything should be fair, and if everything was fair, then then things would be all right. And we got this really, you know, high sense of justice. Well, God doesn't really fit into that sense of justice. And because he's kind to uh, people who are evil and that word kind is a word it's derivative word and it means kind but it's also uh, defined as gracious in some ways and in some places and this is an important lesson of flesh and blood that we understand is who God is we need to understand that God is kind to people who are evil and, and, you know, I'm telling you, nobody understands that All right, out there. The only people who have any hope of understanding that God is kind to people who are evil are people who know God. They're the only people who have any hope of ever understanding that. There's no one walking the street that's going to understand that right off the bat. Nobody. There's nobody that is a troll on the Internet that's going to understand that. Nobody. They're not going to understand that. They don't want to understand that. That in their world, in their tiny world of, of justice, where they're right all the time and everyone else is wrong, God would never do that. And yet, that's who He says He is. And Jesus, speaking of, of the fathers, says God is kind. The Father is kind to people who are evil. He's gracious to them. And this is that lesson of flesh and blood that affects us directly in our spiritual life. We need to learn this lesson. We need to learn the lesson of God's kindness. We need to learn the lesson of God's graciousness. We need to learn the lesson that people that we look at and we say, well, that's an evil person. God's kind to that person. In other places in the Bible, it talks about how God sends the sun and the what? Rain on the just and the... Yeah, see, He's kind. He's kind. The people who are evil. And so we look for some kind of instantaneous justice over things, but thank God he doesn't work that way, right? Because you start thinking about your own life and you know you know how like I don't know, when I was a young Christian, I you know, you'd think to yourself, Oh now if I it, this is a real thought I had and probably made me crazy. But I'd think things like, All right, well I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go to class. So let me repent before I go to class just in case I get hit by a bus on the way across campus and that way I'll be all set for everlasting life. All right, I'm missing a key point there. And here's the key point, is that God's grace is bigger than that. God's love is bigger than that. God's mercy is bigger than that. And the fact that I, maybe I didn't you know, say a prayer of repentance before I headed across campus and I got killed by a bus isn't going to affect the fact that God loves me He cares for me, and I'm in a relationship with Him. But I I had a really high sense of justice growing up. I was taught a really high sense of justice. Life to me was very black and white growing up. And that's what I was told, that's what I was taught, and that's how we lived. And yet, the reality of that when it comes to our life in Christ is that that's not the case. We want it to be the case. It doesn't mean it is the case. But when you get right down to it and you learn the spiritual lesson of it, you really realize that it's good it's not the case. It's good that we serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who is gracious to us. And we serve a God who is really super kind. He's kind to evil people, which means He's kind to you. And you need to live in His kindness. He live in that kindness that He shows us. Live in that kindness that He's revealed to us. Live in that kindness that He offers us and that He pours into our life every single day. That we know the sun's going to shine and the rain's going to come because that's the kind of God that we serve. And you can say, oh, well, you're just taking advantage of His kindness. Can you? How do you take advantage of someone who's being kind and He knows that you're a bum? <laughs> right? Seriously, I mean, what, are you fooling him or something? No. He, he's kind to the evil people. So how are you going to take advantage of kindness if the person extending the kindness knows that he's kind to evil people? He announces it. There, there's no trick involved. There's no trick that is going on where somehow we're fooling God that, that well, we're really not as nice as we appear. Well, he knows who we are, and he's kind to us anyway, because he's kind to people who are evil. And so this flesh and blood lesson has to translate into our spiritual life. Now, what does that look like for us? Well, what that looks like for us, this is one of those things that God speaks over us, says, do good, do good to them. Well, how are we going to do good? Well, how does He do good? He's kind, even to evil people. Yeah. And so, the only way that we can ever be kind to evil people is if if we understand our place before Him. Alright? And we understand who we are. And so, I, I'm going to just leave that at that. Because I don't know what that looks like all the time. I don't even know... I mean, I know that God just gives everybody a fair shake. I know that God, by our definition, more than a fair shake. I know He sends the sun and the rain on the just and the unjust. I know He's kind. According to Jesus, He's kind to people who are just evil. He's kind to them. And we know that because evil people get saved, right? Sometimes. You guys remember I told you the story about old son of Sam? That guy... Yeah. I mean, he he was at a prison down in the Catskills. That's where they put that guy. If you guys know who the Son of Sam is, uh, I don't know if you do, but if you're not old enough to know who the Son of Sam is, there's a movie, at least one movie about Son of Sam, I think Spike Lee directed. And it's just this guy who uh, had a .44 uh, Bulldog pistol. That's not a 44 Magnum, it's a 44 Bulldog, which is a much more common handgun. That's neither here nor there, but I digress. He had a 44 Bulldog, and he would come up on people in New York City, uh, boys and girls who were making out in their cars, and he'd kill them. He was a serial killer. And he just terrorized New York one summer. Because, I mean, it was like the whole summer. And so they they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't catch him. And so they finally catch this guy, and he's nuts. I mean, he's just nuts. You know, his dog's telling him what to do. He's uh, apparently, and he appears to be, just possessed of demons. I mean, the guy's just messed up. And so uh, I know he's he's nuts, but there's no way they're going to let him get away with that. So they convict him, and they ship him off to prison. Well, he ends up in a prison in the Catskills. And uh, as I've told this story, there was a guy, I was at a church one night in the Catskills. And I was preaching at this church and I was calling people out and prophesying over them, and I prophesied over this one guy. And he came up to me afterwards and he's like, yeah, that, that word speaks to where I'm at. He is a guard at the prison where son, the son of Sam was and and was telling me, and it was talking about how Jesus had come into this guy's life. Now, he was Jewish growing up. Son of Sam was Jewish. Jesus had come into his life, and he'd given his heart to Jesus, and he was leading a Bible study in that prison. That guy. Yeah. And so you look at that. That guy was evil, right? Yeah. I mean, by just about every definition of evil, I mean, he's walking up, killing people, randomly, one summer. Serial killers are evil, right? He's a serial killer. But Jesus redeemed him. Somehow. And he came into a saving relationship with Jesus, and he made it his thing to to share that same life with the other guys that were in that prison with him. And that's a powerful story. There's more to that story, but there's a powerful story of redemption in that. And and that Jesus is kind, because he was kind to that guy. What's that guy's name? David Horowitz or something? Or David Berkowitz or something? Yeah, Berkowitz. Yeah, Horowitz is somebody else. Forget that. David Berkowitz, but the, the fact that he's kind to that guy, kind enough, that guy could come to know Jesus. Kind enough, that guy could be forgiven. Kind enough, that guy's life could be redeemed. And, and I know I'm not talking to any of the families of the victims right now or anything else. And I understand that, that that would be a whole different conversation. But what I want you to hear from this is that he's an evil guy and there's a kindness that Jesus showed him. And continues to show him. And, and those are the kind of stories that, that we hear, but I think it's important that we let that translate into our spiritual lives. Because if you're beating yourself up, because why? Why? Why are you beating yourself up? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what ridiculousness in our lives causes us to beat ourselves up over stupid stuff, but it's time to stop. And it's time to learn the lesson that God is kind to the evil people and, and that and that we don't have to keep beating ourselves up anymore. To just let him be kind to you. Just let him. He desires to be kind to you. Let him be kind to you. You're not you're not nearly as evil as that guy David Berkowitz was. Probably. There are no known serial killers in this room right now, and I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. I'm gonna leave it at that. And so chances are, you know, we, we don't have the same level of evil. You know, we might be quasi evil or, or some <laughs> Diet Coke of evil, but not fully evil. <laughs> but regardless, God's still kind. God is still kind. And so so let's just lay down the hammer uh, we have in our own hand that we keep beating ourselves up with. That's not God beating us. That's you. That's the devil. All right? Let it go. Let it go and allow him to be kind to you. Second thing it talks about, God is kind to those who are not thankful. All right? so So even... <laughs> And, and, you know, don't you hate that? You got people that, oh, they kind of live their lives like they deserve it or whatever. Whatever the kindness is. Like they're just God's gift and they deserve it and all that. And yet God is kind to people who are not thankful. He's in that same word there, kind, gracious. He's gracious to those who aren't uh, thankful. And as I was saying earlier, this is this idea. He causes none to despair. In other words, He drives no one to despair. And so if you're living all right, in some relationship with God or some form of some relationship with God, and you feel like you're constantly despairing you know, over that or through that relationship, there's something invalid about that. Because God doesn't cause people to go to despair. He doesn't drive you to despair. You may drive yourself to despair, but He's not driving you there that's not who he is he's kind he's merciful he's gracious to you let him be kind and and his desire is that we don't despair in anything that we don't have to we don't need to lose hope we don't need to 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 lose whatever hope that we have ever and so he doesn't drive us to that place but it, he, he pours out His grace over us instead. And so not only is He being kind to those that are evil, He's also being kind to those that don't think they need Him. He's being kind to those who are not thankful. He's being kind to those that don't see any place for God in their lives. And He's still being kind to them. And so, let's say you've had some times in your life where you felt rebellious. And so you did the rebellious thing. Okay, stop beating yourself up over that. He's kind to you. He's kind to those that are not thankful. All right? And let him be kind. Maybe you've lived and you made some decisions about disobedience and, and you just went off on your own way for a little while. Okay, he's kind. He's full of grace toward you. And so we have to put ourselves continually in a position where we're learning the lessons of the flesh and blood in order so that it would affect us in our spiritual life. I mean, what's Paul's statement in Romans? He's like, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I am doing, I don't want to do. And he talks about this this battle that's going on between the flesh and the Spirit, but what he doesn't really say in there at least not overtly. And what I'm telling you tonight is it is that battle. It's that battle of flesh and blood that directly, directly affects our spirit. It, that's how we grow. And so learning the lessons are important. Living it out is important. Understanding That God is kind to the evil is important. Understand to evil people is important. Understand that God is kind to the unthankful is really important. Because what that does is it begins to feed our spirit some truth about God. And we're going to live that out somehow. That's the flesh and blood way. We live it out. We live it out that uh, there's the evil person. All right, well, God's kind to him and God's gracious to him. Whether you like it or not, He is. But He's kind and He's gracious to you. And you like that, right? So good. All right. So learn the lesson. So you got the person who doesn't think they know God or they they don't need God or whatever. They're unthankful for God. But He's kind to them. Well, we might not like that, but He's kind to you and you're often rebellious. And you came back and He poured out His kindness and He poured out His love and His mercy and His grace over your life and He was kind to you. You like that, right? So learn the lesson. Learn the lesson of His kindness. Because everything I'm talking about, everything I'm talking about is called mercy. It's mercy. That's what it is. And, and so how big is God's mercy? Well, it's huge. How far does it extend? Further than you think. How deep does it go? Deeper than you think. How long is it good for? Longer than you think. All right, and I can say those things because I know that we have some finite end to what it is that God is going to put up with. We have some finite end to whatever it is God's going to show mercy for. We have some finite end to whatever it is that God's going to show grace for. Because we have that finite end, I can say with a pretty high degree of confidence that His mercy extends beyond that which we think. His grace extends beyond that which we think. His kindness is greater than we can understand. I can say that with a pretty high degree of confidence. So everything that he speaks about, everything he speaks about uh, loving your enemy, everything he speaks about doing good to them, that perpetual rule of action, it's a command for acts of mercy. It's not a specific instruction. And that's what I wanted to get to tonight, is that don't get stuck on the first part of this because you missed the big part of it. The first part of it is love your enemies, do good to them. I can't do that. Well, okay. I understand that. And you can't say you can't do that because you probably have done that. But What I'm trying to get to is don't dismiss the whole thing because it's through that, that is the command for you to be merciful right there. That's what he's really saying. Be a person of mercy. Be a person of grace. Be a person who is kind. It's not a specific instruction. Somebody look at Luke 6, 36. Luke 6, 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. All right. See, that's the command. That's the command. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's the command. And so we have our Father, which you see here, right? Do you see it in these verses? God is kind to evil people. God is kind to people who are unthankful. Do you see? Like That's merciful. And so we get a command that Jesus is speaking to us. He's like, "Be, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Well, how is He merciful? He's kind to evil people and He's kind to people who are unthankful. They don't think they need Him or care about Him. And He's still kind to them, including you. And so what he's telling us is that look at your life, look at who you are, look at who God is, learn the lesson of flesh and blood and let it be applied to your spirit. Because the command is the command of mercy in our lives. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so he says after that, he's like, then, here's what's going to happen. Then you will receive a huge return. A huge return. Huge. But you see, our great reward, and I'm not trying to dismiss what he says here because he says there is a huge return, but our great reward, according to Genesis 15.1, is God Himself. That's our great reward. And so, I can say this with confidence. I don't know about any other kind of big, huge return on all this. I have no idea. I'll tell you this, though. If you can apply the lesson of flesh and blood when it comes to mercy, that you're living out in your life, you can apply that to your spirit, you're going to be a better person. What I mean by better, I mean happier, I mean more peace, I mean more joy, I mean living life better as that person than you do a bitter person. Then you do a person who's scared all the time. Then a person who's angry all the time. Then a person who's frustrated all the time. Then a person who's out to get somebody all the time. Because if you live in anger in your life, and I'm not saying this hypothetically, I'm just telling you, if you live as a person who lives in anger in your life, you're not going to be happy. There's just no way to do that. They don't reconcile. Happy and living mad do not reconcile. Happy and living frustrated do not reconcile. Happy and living in bitterness does not reconcile. Those things don't go together. And so if we can learn the lesson of mercy and apply it to our life, that leads us into a better place. A place of joy, a place of peace, a place of rest in our spirit. That's what it leads to. And God Himself becomes our reward. It's like I said, you learn the lessons of the flesh and blood. It's applied directly to your spirit. That's what we get. That's what we get. And that's something more powerful and more lasting and something that's everlasting into our lives. It's awesome. And He says this after that. He's like, you'll receive a huge return. I mean, you get God Himself. He's like, but then He's like, then you'll be known as, and you will be the children of God. Man, I like that. I like to be the children of God. You think about um, let's go to Luke twenty and thirty six. Luke twenty thirty six.
1: No longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, because they are children of the resurrection. All
0: right, thanks. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. All right, so in those verses, you see a designation. And it's something that is eternal. It's something that is perpetual. It's something that goes on forever. And it's directly associated with fleshing mercy out in your life. Because what's a peacemaker? Hmm? It's a gun, yeah? (laughs) Well, but you think about what a peacemaker is in the, in the context of what we're talking about. A peacemaker has to do with uh, finding mercy and fleshing out mercy. All right? and, and how does that happen? Well, it happens this way. It happens in what God is showing us. That we become a people, as these lessons are being applied to our spirit, we become a people of peace. We become a people of rest. We become a people of joy. We become a people who have life flowing in us and out of us and through us. And so we become associated with, as, the children of God. And I want that. I want that. More and more in my life, I want that. And so the last thing I wrote on these verses, kind of funny, I you know I wrote out all these verses that we've been reading here. Love your enemies, do good to them. God is kind to people who are evil. God is kind to those who are not thankful. It's called mercy. That's what I wrote out. And then after I wrote out it's called mercy, I wrote try it. Yeah. And that's really what I want to leave you with tonight is the idea of this has to be lived. We've got to try it. I mean, we just have to try it. And I'm not sure how else to put it. That this is something that if we're going to actually see anything happen, it actually has to be done. It has to be fleshed. It has to be brought out in flesh and blood. It's not good enough just to talk about it or keep an idea. But it actually has to become flesh and blood through our lives. And as it becomes flesh and blood through our lives, then it can be applied to our spirit. These are the same types of ideas that I've been sharing with you about from, say, when, when the Bible talks about if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Why? Because you're not fleshing it out. There's no flesh and blood to it. In other words, the concept is I love God. Oh, God is awesome. I really love Him. He's the best. Yeah, God is the best. Oh, you? I hate you. See, that, you can't do that. Because the concept of loving God has to be fleshed out somehow and the way that we flesh out loving God is by loving each other and if we don't do that it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean anything and that's why the Bible says you're a liar if you do that you're just a liar you may not mean to be a liar you may have you be well-meaning like oh I've got this concept God is awesome I love him so you got that concept. Great. Now, what does that look like when you flesh that out in your life? That's the next step. Well, then you've got to look at it and say, all right, well, that looks like I serve my brother. Okay. That looks like I prefer my brother over myself. Oh, okay. Oh, that means that I can't do something I want to do one day because I'm helping that guy out. Is that what that means? Yeah, it probably does, actually. And those are the lessons that we flesh out in loving our brother It gets applied to our spirit. It gets applied to our spiritual life. And then we begin to gain an understanding, a bigger understanding of who God is and who we are. But it's got to get fleshed out. Same thing here. We can talk about the concept of mercy all you want. We can can define mercy and, and all the nuances of it. And we can define grace and all the nuances of it. Now, we can define what grace and mercy look like, under what conditions are grace and mercy maximized, uh, under what, you know, it's just like all these things that people want to talk about, the concepts of grace and mercy. But grace and mercy have to be fleshed out. Or they don't mean anything. It's just stupid. And it's stupid to, to try and over-define something. It's stupid to try and, and over-talk about something without having any application whatsoever in and through our lives. It's just waste of time. Waste of time. And yet, that's what people do. But they're wasting time. The fact of the matter is, is that mercy needs to mean something today to you and through your life. It's got to. And you're going to need to show people mercy. You're going to need to show people grace. When people aren't thankful... When you, when you do something for somebody and they don't give a rip and they look at you like they deserved it the whole time, hey, that's your opportunity to show some mercy, right? To show some mercy and let that apply to your spirit. That's how you grow. Or that evil person, to show some mercy, show some mercy, let that apply to your spirit and grow. I mean, if I was mean to everybody who's mean to me, it'd be a full-time job. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a full-time job. And so in our daily, just the way we live, it's important that we're practicing mercy. It's important that we're practicing grace. It's important that we're allowing those things to happen in our daily lives. Not just ignoring people. That's not what I'm talking about. But actually practicing mercy and actually practicing grace in people's lives. But that's how we're going to grow. That's how we're going to find ourselves in, in that whole grouping there, that eternal grouping of the children of God. That's where that happens. is right here, right now, with that jerk that lives across the street from you. And I mean that in every loving way that I can. I don't know who lives across the street from you, so I don't mean anything by that. You'd not know, but I don't. You might be that jerk that lives across the street. I don't know, but mercy, mercy's key, grace, love. Take a few moments to pray, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. and And as we're praying, I just want you to, if you feel led, just lift your voice and And let God know where you're at. Let God know what you're frustrated. oh, i I'm holding back. I'm afraid. I don't want to get hurt. I, I don't whatever. I don't know. I don't know where you're at, okay? But don't be afraid to lift your voice and to pray and and to to get some freedom in this because I really believe that God is calling us into this place here and now as a people of mercy as a people of grace. We were born, this church was born in mercy and was born in grace. And never forget that. And we've always been a place of mercy and grace. I mean, people take advantage. People have robbed us. People have stolen. People have come into our houses and taken things. People have stolen money. People have done all kinds of things. But God is bigger. And He's loving. And He is full of mercy to all. To all of them and to us. And I give Him thanks for that. So Father, thanks for uh, just the reality of who we are in You. I thank You, God, that we're here tonight. Individually, we're here tonight because of Your mercy and Your grace. Individually, we sit here tonight listening to your word because of your mercy because of your grace that you have put us here and allowed us here for such a time as this and so god i pray that you begin to soften our hearts i pray you begin to soften our spirits if we come here and we have a high degree of justice i pray you begin to soften that in us in jesus name and i pray father that we begin to walk more in your just in your mercy we begin to walk more in your grace more God more and I pray God for a deeper place of that I pray for a deeper place of that in us I pray for a deeper place of that in us as individuals deeper place for that in us as a body of believers I just pray it goes deep 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 into who we are that mercy and that grace God, the call is to be merciful. You've called us to be merciful. You've called us to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. And so we hear that call, God. We hear that call. And I want to I accept that call. I want to accept that call to be merciful. And so as we just sit here before you, I have to ask you, Father, is that you change our hearts, you change our minds. Because God, I want to grow... That you would change our hearts and change our minds. God, we want to grow. And we want you to change us. Yeah. I just thank you that you are generous beyond compare and just operate for a more generous. Spirit. Yeah. God, help me to be a person for more mercy. i not trying to get my
1: cup to push. Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thank you, Lord hmm. Mhm. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now we're just receiving you tonight. (laughs) Receive that mercy, receive that grace. And I pray you continue to change us. I give you thanks. As these things in Jesus' name, let's read by saying amen. Amen. Amen.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background and culture span the spectrum as they gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You no, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin, should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. that. see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm, yeah. As an afro of of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. It's, I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah.